Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. The uh, Conservative Party of Canada is calling for a criminal probe into the WE contract and the Trudeau family's speaking fees and uh, and uh, association with WE. We're joined by Pierre Polyev, Conservative Party member for the Ottawa area riding of Carleton and uh, finance critic. Why didn't you run for leadership of the party? Everybody wants you to. <laughs> Well, uh, that's very kind of you to say, but um, very happy with my life as it is, and uh, enjoying my family. And uh, we weren't ready to make that kind of a commitment at this point. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. I tweeted out earlier. First time I heard this guy talk, I said to myself, "Don't wander off mentally when you're being interrogated by Pierre Polier. <laughs> Stay focused." I promise not to interrogate you today. You can give it your best shot. Uh, others have tried. I, I wouldn't even try. I wouldn't <laughs> dare try. <laughs> Mr. Foley, have your party's calling for a criminal probe into, let's get serious, into the WE contract. First chance we have it, we've had to talk. And to the monies uh, paid members of the Prime Minister's family for speaking engagements for the charity. Specifically, what would you urge the RCMP to review or investigate? Well, uh, you have a prime minister who personally intervened in a decision to give a sole source exclusive and highly unusual billion dollar contract to an organization that had paid his family over $300,000 in fees. That's it in a nutshell. Do you think this is the iceberg metaphor still 10% above the surface, 90% below the surface? Is there more yes, to come? I do. I do. Uh, look, l let me just start with the fundamentals of this story. The Prime Minister claims this billion-dollar expenditure was to help students get involved in charities uh, and make some money at the same time. But we already have a program that does exactly that. It's existed for 20 years. It's called the Canada Summer Jobs Plan, and it basically pays half the wages of every young person who goes and works for a charity not-for-profit or local small business throughout the summer months and businesses and charities simply apply for it works very well and if the prime minister believed that because of the covid shutdown and the difficulties of the reopening we needed to have more of that he just needed to expand that program it would have allowed every charity every ngo every not-for-profit to apply and get help to hire students but instead, he strangely took the same concept and farmed it out to one charity, uh, one that uh, had produced campaign-style videos for him, presumably for free, uh, one that had paid his mother, wife, and brother a combined $300,000-plus uh, payout uh, over the course of the years leading up to this decision, uh, and uh, one that uh, his finance minister has family members working with as well. Uh, so from top to bottom, this is an extremely unusual decision. And now that we learn that there's a financial link right back to the Trudeau family, uh, he could be in trouble with the criminal code. That's why we want the, the RCMP to investigate. And neither the Prime Minister nor the Minister of Finance recused themselves during Cabinet discussions about engaging we 
and the sole source directing of that $900 million student grant program to the charity. And yet both men have family members directly or semi-directly involved with the charity. It's stunning. It is stunning. But I would point out on this recusal issue, if they had been recused from this contract, the contract never would have been conceived of in the first place. I firmly believe that this entire scheme was concocted by Trudeau and his entourage, uh, along with the WE, uh, their friends over at WE. Um, I don't believe for a minute that the public service conjured up a scheme like this. I was the minister responsible for the department that delivers these programs. They would never have even considered something like this uh, when I was there. Uh, Because, again, we already have a program that does what Trudeau is purporting to do here. I believe firmly that Trudeau conjured this whole thing up himself with his team, his cronies, and his entourage. So if he had recused himself, there would have been no program. Uh, Therefore, it would have been impossible for him to recuse himself. Uh, The right thing in this case to have done would have been simply to tell the public servants, we want to expand the Canada Summer Jobs Program. Go run it like you always have for the last 20 years, and uh, let's get some students working. Where would you rank this situation if you compared it to the Bahamas trip and the PMO interference with former Attorney General, Minister of Justice Julie Wilson-Raybould, doing her sworn duty pursuing criminal charges against SNC-Lavalin? Where does this current situation fit? I think it's very similar to but much larger than the billionaire island vacation he took. This is the case where the Aga Khan came and Uh, asked him for a $15 million grant and uh, offered Trudeau and his family multiple trips to his island, which are valued around $200,000, those kinds of vacations, by the way. And in that case, Trudeau was found guilty of violating the Ethics Act. Um, This time, though, the dollar figure is so much bigger. He he directed almost a billion dollars to this organization as opposed to $15 million in the case of the Aga Khan. So I'd have to say this is probably bigger than the previous two scandals. Your colleagues who are running for the leadership of the party have been asked whether or not this is a a situation which demands a non-confidence vote, and uh, we're getting kind of a split in answers. What do you say to that? Well, I don't want to give the Prime Minister an easy out either. Um, what he might like to do is get an election done quickly before the truth comes out. Uh, and that would not be fair to, to our voters. They should have the right to know exactly what happened here before they cast judgment on it. So I think we have to be wise in when uh, we proceed uh, with a con- non-confidence vote. I'm not sure that you know the first uh, week of October is the best time to do that. The truth might not be out yet. Surely the ethics commissioner and possibly the police would not be able to finish their investigations by that time. Uh, We also, by the way, have audits from the Auditor General that are going ahead into the COVID spending, into the $180 billion infrastructure program, which has 20,000 missing projects. That's projects the government says exist, but they don't know where, when, or for how much the projects were built. All these things will probably come out early in the new year. And I would hate for us to, in haste and out of vengeance force an election without the truth coming to light before people vote 
Well, the truth could come to light during an election campaign, but that really is, again, something that your party has to decide on. Do you think you'll have opportunity to quiz Mr. Trudeau directly on this? I'm working on a plan to do that right now, and I might have some news uh, over the course of the weekend on how we can do it. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a number of parliamentary investigations that are starting up. One is the Finance Committee. Another is the Ethics Committee. Uh, so there will be opportunities to question witnesses in general under oath and uh, hopefully get some answers. Um, right. Whether the Prime Minister will be among those witnesses uh, remains to be seen. It's very interesting. Mr. Poliev, thank you very much for coming on the program. I hope we'll come back. I'd be delighted to. Thank you very much. All the best. Have a good day. Pierre Poliev, uh, Carlton MP in the Ottawa area for the Conservative Party of Canada, finance critic, first chance to uh, speak with him. Now, on that issue of the Conservative Party of Canada calling for a criminal probe, into the WE contract and the Trudeau family speaking fees. We're joined by Scott Newark, former Alberta prosecutor, former executive director of the Canadian Police Association, and um, professor at Simon Fraser University. Scott, you've been looking, thanks for the time, you've been looking at the Criminal Code of Canada to see if there's applicability for an RCMP investigation. What have you found? There certainly are uh, a number of offenses. Uh, they're actually, it's ironic, they're quite historical that potentially the actions as we know about them so far, and there's still a lot of unanswered questions in my opinion, but where the police could actually take a look and see, uh, based on the evidence that they actually have, of whether the conduct that was involved, it so, seemingly so far would include presumably the Prime Minister and the uh, Minister of Finance, who both qualify for the definition of a public official, uh, but potentially some of their staff as well too, as to whether or not they've uh, breached any of the uh, the offenses uh, that I've uh, referenced. And specifically, uh, I think the one that is the most likely is a very rarely used offense, but it's, as I say, historical. It's called uh, breach of trust by a public officer. And essentially it's uh, anybody who, in the connection with their duties of their office, commits fraud or a, quote, breach of trust, which the Supreme Court ended up defining essentially of using the authority of your office for an improper purpose, um, uh, that that uh, potentially constitutes a crime. The uh, section, that's section 122, and it was uh, the definition of what constituted the breach of trust was been defined by the Supreme Court of Canada in a case back in 2006 called Boulanger. So the framework is actually there. Potentially, and I've heard references to from uh, different uh, MPs that, uh, potentially it could be Section 119, which is uh, bribery. Uh, if somebody does something and accepts or uses their office and does something with the, uh, as an attempt to obtain for themselves or any other person money or valuable consideration, also potentially uh, uh, Section 121, fraud on the government. And it could even be, uh, Roy, that in those circumstances, uh, you know, they uh, could interview, for example, the recipient of these uh, funds, which is the uh, WE charity and the WE for-profit uh, arm of it, uh, to see whether or not, you know, what their involvement was and uh, how it was that they got awarded this. And I think that's the key thing to keep an eye on, because it's already starting to slip out of the media attention, is that this whole thing, we, we learned about this 
that the uh, Trudeau government was, you know, in its daily uh, throw out of money, was going to uh, hand out $900 million as payments to young people who would otherwise do volunteer work. Okay, and they gave that charity, we, 19, I think it was $19.5 million to, in effect, run the program. Well, first, what originally attracted the attention of people and, you know, the concern of people is, why are you outsourcing this, you know, to a uh, non... Why not just have the government do this? It's a uh, huge funding program. That was number one. Like, why do... And then the second thing was the revelation that it was a sole source. Like, there was no competition. This was Mm -hmm. just awarded to this charity, which we subsequently now know uh, was actually the subject of a uh, cabinet discussion in which... Both Mr. Trudeau and um, Minister Morneau uh, voted, uh, you know, participated in it, didn't recuse themselves from it. And as it turns out, uh, we now know that uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau's uh, mother has made hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for speaking fees. His brother, Alexandre, has made tens of thousands of dollars. His wife has even made a little bit of money. Mr. Morneau's daughter works for the uh, WE Foundation. And so we're back at that point of, you know, why would they have done this where they just, you know, didn't go through the normal process of having a uh, procurement to have people bid on it or even more to have the government do it themselves? And the explanation that came out originally was, oh, well, you know, we were told by uh, government officials that uh, uh, we was the only group that could actually do that. Scott, if you were if you were still. But guess what? Within a week after there was, you know, furor and complaints about this, that decision was overturned and it's, uh, you know, not going to go ahead that way. So why was it made in the first place? Yeah, so, but there is, when you look at the criminal code, and you mentioned these these particular sections of the code, S-121, fraud on government, 122, breach of trust by public official, uh, which involved the Supreme Court of Canada decision, uh, also, the Section 63 of the Act, breaching the Conflict of Interest Act. You see, there's opportunity. Should the RCMP so decide, there is, there is, there is opportunity. With, I, I don't know if opportunity is the correct word. Whether it's possibility within the criminal code to investigate based on what we know. Yeah, actually, that Section 63 quote that you made, uh, that's not from the criminal code. That's actually from the Conflict of Interest Act, and this is okay. going to be a major problem. And it was in SNC Lavalin. Because guess what? Um, there's also an ethics investigation that is being launched by the uh, conflict. Well, it's the third time. Pardon me? It's the third time. Yes. He's already but had he's two ethics convictions. He has the right to, you know, call people and ask questions and everything else. But uh, guess what? Um, if the government claims um, uh, cabinet uh, privilege over any of the discussions or conversations or documents, then uh, neither the uh, ethics commissioner nor the police have the ability to overrule that. And that's what they did in SNC-Lavalin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, you know exactly what's going to happen again here as well. Scott, if you were still a prosecutor, would you be interested in this? Um, I would, but I think what it would, uh, what I would actually, more from a systemic or policy issue, Roy, um, you know, how on earth was this kind of a decision made? And I think, to be blunt, I think this is actually a, an example or a consequence, ramification of the fact that essentially a parliament is shut down and you've got the, uh, the Trudeau government doing whatever it feels like mm-hmm. and the normal measures of accountability and oversight and review and public awareness are just not there.
Uh, There's there's an absolute need to get Parliament going, as it has in the past. If our society is opening up, there's no reason to keep our Parliament closed. Now, let me ask you one other quick question. There was talk at the time of the Ethics Commissioner's decision uh, and really convicting, if you will, uh, Trudeau and uh, and the PMO of interfering with the uh, with with the Attorney General, former Attorney General, Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould doing her job. Uh, there was speculation about whether or not the RCMP may be investigating on obstruction of justice uh, possibilities. Do you expect anything like that is going on, or would we have known by now? I think we would have known by now. Okay. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, you've got an organization that uh, I think, frankly, is... Uh, it, I really regret saying this, but I think a lot of its uh, independence has uh, waned over the uh, the past few years. All right. Again, uh, you know, there's they've got the uh, the excuse in the bag of being able to say, well, the ethics uh, you know commissioners already conducted the investigation and found them guilty. Just one little point, though, by the way, the maximum penalty for being found guilty of a uh, breach of uh, ethics or conflict of interest is uh, for the federal. Uh, legislation is 500 bucks. Yeah. The provinces, it's, it's 5,000. Yeah. So it's a complete slap on the wrist. Yeah. But I think it raises those larger questions, which I think speak to, you know, uh, potentially institutional corruption in the sense of um, why this decision was made in the first place to well, sole source. The yeah, we're going to have to pursue this. We're going to have to pursue this another time because. We're out of time, but I really appreciate you looking into the criminal code because that's what the conservatives are asking for. And we'll be talking to Pierre Polierv in about an hour's time. Scott, thanks so much. Appreciate it greatly. That's an issue worth keeping our eyes on. All right, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Scott Newark, former prosecutor. And uh, we will be speaking with Pierre Polierv at the top of the next hour about uh, the conservative party's call for um, criminal uh, investigation. Look into this case. If you go to thebusinesscouncil.ca, that's thebusinesscouncil.ca, you'll see the Canadian Business Council's statement on the federal government's economic and fiscal snapshot. Really well worth reading. Goldie Heider is the president and uh, CEO of the Business Council. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Heider, thank you very much for the time. And you just heard the parliamentary budget officer, you know, on the, on the, on the fiscal snapshot. Did you expect that what we heard was actually possible? Yeah, I guess nothing surprises you anymore, right? We're living in that so-called unprecedented time. Um, it's a big number. Let's be clear. It's a very, very big number. And, you know, while the government uh, certainly indicates that they took on that debt so that Canadians didn't have to, the, the fact is it is Canadians who have that debt. And uh, we were fortunate that we had the fiscal capacity to help Canadians uh, put a floor on their collapse. Uh, but now, Roy, we, we now know that the cost of this is such that we really need to move and pivot to uh, a new era, if you will, a new, a new normal of living with COVID and starting to focus on the economic emergency and how do we grow, uh, grow back and, and grow back stronger. Yeah. In the statement from the Business Council, you uh, very clearly point out uh, there's no uh, there's no uh, questions here. Canadians simply cannot afford another shutdown. And uh, you're also urging uh, the government to understand that business and individuals can be trusted to restart the economy safely and responsibly. Please speak to that, Mr. Hyder. 
Well, the thing I would say, Roy, is this, we have to all ask ourselves, um, what do you think changes between now and the time of a vaccine and or a treatment? What are we waiting for? Uh, is it is it complete and total eradication of the virus um, here in Canada? Because that is a completely unreasonable objective. That ship sailed a very long time ago. Uh, we are going to have to condition Canadians that life with COVID means uh, you know, we're going to be wearing masks, we're going to be washing our hands, we're going to be keeping social distancing, and our governments are going to have to, you know, ramp up the testing, tracking, tracing capabilities, we're going to have to provide safe public transportation, and we're actually going to have to really get serious about addressing childcare and schooling, because the current models that are being proposed simply won't work for parents, and they probably wouldn't work for uh, employers, and frankly, they're probably not the best thing for the kids either. So it means being honest with Canadians, providing the leadership and the clarity to say, look, um, we're going to have to live with this thing. There are going to be flare-ups. And let's be clear, a second wave would be uh, catastrophic. But 10, 20 cases popping up, or as I saw the other day, breaking news, one case in PEI, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop creating fear and start creating hope so that Canadians can find some normalcy to this period. Because as I said, nothing changes between now and, the, and eventually when we get to a vaccine or a treatment, which some say could still years away. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I saw that story about one case in PEI, and I thought that's ridiculous. I mean, it is, it is going to happen. And that's really the the first topic we're going to deal with tomorrow, because we're going to be speaking with a signatory to a letter that was sent to the prime minister, an open letter from health experts in this country saying, essentially, look, mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to eradicate it, just work on minimizing it. Mr. Heider, let's talk about the members of the Business uh, Council of Canada, large companies. How steep is the hill for many of these companies now well to be very candid with you um you know a lot of them uh, have have managed the 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 lockdown well because they allowed to, and they were able to pivot to have people work from home we're very fortunate to have the infrastructure particularly the technology from broadband perspective and so forth that our companies uh, have been able to uh, invest in over the years um but there is a there is a portion roy that is extremely distressed severely distressed and i mean the airlines uh, the tourism sector, the the um, um, uh, retail sector. These are our sectors. Uh, obviously, the energy sector for different reasons. These are sectors that that I think before we get too far down the road in terms of um, of um, uh, what government can and cannot do, they need to relook at have they done all that they can to help these sectors, particularly because it's government policies which we support. Obviously, what's going on down in the United States is extremely disturbing, and it's going to have catastrophic consequences for them. And we have to be careful that it doesn't ripple over into Canada. But there are European countries have deemed Canada safe. The question is, has Canada deemed Canada safe? Why can't we have safe-to-safe travel take place from countries that have managed the virus and have done it very well? So we've got to reassess that. Uh, but I do think that, that at this stage, you know, we have, can't be living in fear. We can't be living with the idea that it's the second wave and the second lockdown because integrity of businesses uh, won't work if we only have 10, 15, 20 percent, 30 percent of Canadians reengaging with society. We need more people back in the economy. Now, there's also the emotional component. If you're not, if you don't feel you're being productive and if you don't feel like you're really getting things done, and I know I'm working from home, but I prefer to be at the radio station. Um, but, but it's, there's the emotional component. I'm also thinking about, and we have about a minute here, the, we have a downgraded credit rating, certainly from uh, Fitch's, 
we, we need international investors uh, getting involved in this country, but they're concerned about the uh, onerous regulations that exist. Are we? To, are you essentially saying to to the federal government, understand the business can drive the economy forward? So let us do that. Exactly, and 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 it's good for government that that happens, right? So we appreciate yeah, the support that absolutely. governments have provided on wage subsidies. We'll we'll take that because it'll help us hire employees back. The greatest threat to our economy, Roy, is demand. We need to create demand. If there isn't the sufficient demand, we're going to have deflation. We're going to have oversupply take place. So the message is let's open up Canada. Let's trust businesses. Let's trust Canadians to do the right thing and find a way to coexist so that we can mitigate the risks to our economy and manage that emergency just like we did such a terrific job managing the health emergency. Absolutely sensible approach, and I hope they're listening in Ottawa. Well, you're in Ottawa. Uh, the, the other ones. Mr. Hyder, thank you so much for the time. Always great talking to you. Likewise, thanks for having me, Roy. All the best. Be well. And you too. Goldie Hyder is the uh, president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. We COVID-19 exists. You can't eliminate it. We can minimize it, work toward a vaccine, but we still have to have our economy moving. We have to put money back in the system, money back into people's pockets. Jobs have to be there. We have to come back. We have to bounce back. We are going to need investment in this country, and let's not forget... But before the pandemic began, the idea of international foreign investment, money into this country, well, it had already become a wobbly experience because of onerous regulations, interprovincial trade barriers, the questionable treatment of the energy industry by the federal government. Where are we now? Well, we know what the deficit is, and we know what the uh, national debt is. Tom Caldwell is chairman of Caldwell Investment Management. They have seats on the Toronto and New York Stock Exchanges. We're fortunate to be able to reach out to Mr. Caldwell when we need some assurance and some real sense of where we're where we're headed, where we are. Tom, thank you for the time. I never thought I'd see numbers like the ones we found out about a few days ago, $343 billion deficit, uh, trillion-plus national debt. Um, what is your assessment of the impact of this fiscal, um, what are they calling a snapshot, uh, on this country and the longer-term fiscal well-being of Canada. Well, Roy, these are very arresting numbers. Now, now, I will keep in mind that this is happening all over the world. America, almost every country that's sort of swept over by COVID, is to start start spending money. But it is a significant amount of debt, and and the you know debt reduces choices, reduces options for individuals, governments, and companies. So over time, it's either going to mean increased taxes or we have to have economic growth to, to diminish its relative to size, or inflation. You inflate debt out of existence. So the only way you really deal with debt is either paying it down or inflate it out of existence. So uh, we will see what mix we're going to have, but we do need economic growth, and we're probably going to have some tax hikes uh, to deal with this uh, going, going forward. And, and uh, you know, inflation may be part of it, may not be part We don't know that just yet, but uh, it's a big number. It will uh, mean that governments really have a vested interest in keeping interest rates low, because if you increase the interest rates by 3 or 4% on this amount of money, you're talking some pretty sizable uh, deficits going forward, which will mean tax increases. So uh, interest rates, they'll try to keep them low as long as they can to accommodate this. Uh, does the uh, recent downgrading of Canada's credit rating by Fitch in the U.S., does that is that significant to to our... Well, it's, to it's, our well-being it's, now? It's a warning flag, Roy. And Fitch is not a major uh, 
rating agency. Um, but it's, 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 if you look at the world, everybody's getting downgraded. So it's, it's, it's like everybody's de- declining at the same pace. Mm-hmm. What you don't want is a debt uh, recalibration, and you're the only one, and nobody else is just as bad. We can look around and say everybody's just as bad as we are. So it's, it, it isn't a big standout, but clearly we have, we have issues underpinning this other than COVID. We spoke, you and I spoke a number of times in well, pre-COVID days about international investment in Canada and that the international investors were rather dubious about about this country because of the massive regulatory issues they have to deal with and, uh, and interprovincial trade barriers and, uh, and taxes, uh, the tax levels that we have to deal with. How does the international investor see Canada this time? Well, those, those are clear points, and that's certainly part of the consideration. Canada has lacked any clear industrial policy for years. I mean, what do we want to do? What do we want to be when we grow up? And governments have, have you know, we, we have been subjected to the tyranny of special interest groups, and governments at all levels do not want to confront this. They don't want to leave. They want to, they want to say, hey, listen, there's a problem. We're going to deal with it, but we're not going to put up with, you know, special interest groups. Tyranny uh, of the majority is a terrible thing. The only thing worse is tyranny of the minority, and we do have this. We do have special interest groups demanding this, and that presents a problem. And believe me, people outside the country look in and see this. As you know, I lived in New York. I spent a lot of time in the U.S., and they look in and say, these are, these are crazy people up here. And, and so in terms of big projects, we have shown ourselves unwilling, government has shown themselves really unwilling to support, back up, and, and you know, help to work, put through major, major projects, and clearly pipelines are, are obviously one uh, standard issue in that regard. I'm about to play back an interview that I uh, did live with Frank McKenna two years ago. And, and Tom, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how relevant that interview still is today. We're going to play it back in a few minutes' time. But when we're looking at, uh, you mentioned pipelines, when we look at the Western Canadian energy sector, does our Western Canada energy sector have to, must it receive, immediate and increased federal government support? And I'm not talking about money necessarily, just some a sense that the federal government of Canada recognizes the value of the energy industry, the oil industry, and gets behind it. Well, absolutely. I mean, we can start by not hurting it. Uh, Trudeau, one, damaged the West and the relations with the East tremendously with uh, Marc Gallon's uh, national energy policy. And it has been eclipsed by the Trudeau two policies. Uh, and I do think the best thing we can start doing is stop hurting the energy sector and what support is needed. Uh, Jason Kenney's a good man out there. He's doing the best he can for his province. And, you know, listen to what they need. The challenge is uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is caught in, in uh, his rather superficial view of climate change and how we're going to deal with it, which to him means cutting off the energy sector. We're, it's going to be a long time before we get to wind, solar, uh, or, whatever, or nuclear power away from hydrocarbons. It's going to be, it'll, it, it won't be in your time and my time, Roy. I've probably got a few more years. Of it, but it's going to be quite a while. We've got to stop hurting the industry and then see what they need in the interim to have it survive, because that's a major um, support of the Canadian dollar worldwide. People look at the Canadian dollar, they see it as a petrocurrency, nothing else. It is a petrocurrency. Oil prices go down, or our energy exports go down, the dollar goes down. And we miss totally the liquid natural, liquefied natural gas industry. That was there, standing, waiting for us. And that would be a massive improvement 
to environmental challenges. Massive people in China switching from coal to natural gas, etc. Tremendous help to the world. And we just sat in our hands because, again, special interest groups. My dog used to run up and down the fence. And there was a hole in the fence. He was trying to get to the other side. But he never saw the hole. He just kept running back and forth. And eventually I took him by the collar and I walked him to the hole and he looked at me and said, thanks, I didn't see it. I didn't know it was there. And I think I think there's I think there's some truth, truth to this I metaphor somewhere. Metaphor, Roy. <laughs> Tom, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for the time. Thank you. All the best. And to you, Tom Caldwell, chairman of um, Caldwell Investment Management. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.